This is episode 81 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Andrew A. from Oklahoma City. Andrew will share his experience as an atheist in AA, how he approaches the steps, and the beginnings of his group in Oklahoma City. I'm speaking with Andrew A. from Oklahoma City. And Andrew, not too long ago, um, helped start a secular AA group in Oklahoma City. Uh, how you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well, thank you. By the way, how long ago was it that you started that group? Um, it's been over a year now. It was started in uh, June of last year, so June of 2016. What we generally do here is... Um, <laughs> To get to know the person, if you would like to share your story a little bit about, you know, what got you into Alcoholics Anonymous to begin with, and then, you know, the the evolution in AA that eventually got you to start a secular AA meeting, and, and then how you worked the program. So do you want to just kind of go into it? Absolutely. I ended up in uh, 2006 drinking uh, 100 Proof Vodka 24-7, and uh, I can remember clearly um, a couple of times looking at myself in the mirror and knowing that I was killing myself and knowing that I couldn't I could not slow down and um, I think when that clicked I went to a uh, therapist that I'd seen previously I don't know that I actually told her I was drunk at the time uh, but I told her I was having problems with alcohol and she said go to AA. And my immediate reaction, and I don't know where this comes from to this day, my immediate reaction to that was, don't you have to believe in God to go there? Mm. She said, go to AA. And uh, I paid attention. I didn't go right away. But um, that was her best response. I think I was hoping for a treatment or a pill or something that was going to fix it. So the AA solution was not on my radar. I um, didn't go right away. It was out there. Within a few weeks, I think I had a friend who was um, in Al-Anon. We had lost power here after a big ice storm in different parts of the city, and he ended up staying with me. You know, he knew my story, and I think with him being around, it prompted me to finally take action. So I went to a one, two, three speaker meeting at uh, one of the large clubhouses here in Oklahoma City, the Western Club. And uh, whatever I heard there uh, resonated with me. Um, made me want to go back, although they asked for newcomers to raise their hands, and I sort of sheepishly raised my hands, mm-hmm. and they didn't see me, and I didn't, uh, I, I didn't raise it any higher, so I kind of hit out. But I went back the next day. That was a Tuesday night, mm-hmm. and I was sober by Saturday morning. Um, that was December twenty second of um, of two thousand and six. Never went back to alcohol. I've, I have a couple of little experiences with alcohol over the years, but I never went back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it never, it, it's never really crossed my mind to go back to drinking. Stayed sober for over three years. And then I had a little relationship, uh, with NAA and wanted to escape the pain of that, mm-hmm. of the breakup of that. Went to a doctor. Uh, went back to pills for a while, and uh, that led... Now, I stayed in AA that whole time, mm-hmm. went to meetings. Then, I forget the year, it was uh, 2000 and it was 2014. They legalized 
a substance in Colorado. And I thought, well, you're not really sober anyway, so I thought I'd have some fun and discovered that I smoked the same way I drank, to oblivion. I didn't even had know you had an experience that. with marijuana before? You know, as it, uh, when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, I mean, this was before the Marine Corps. I think when I got out of the Marine Corps, <clears throat> I tried smoking one time and got kind of paranoid on it. So I, yeah, I didn't like it at all. And I don't <laughs> know, um, although this, the you know, the new stuff they have is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. that they have these choices on what kind of effect you want from it. Oh. Um, but I, I did not know you could smoke until you passed out. It was just like my drinking. And that woke me up, and I uh, uh, seven a.m. meeting. We have seven a.m. seven a.m. meeting here every day. I went to that. I got out of that meeting, and I knew that everything was back at my house, which was a mile away. And I reached out for help. Um, I texted a bunch of guys. Didn't get a response at first because uh, all I said was I need help. Then I texted um, the same group of guys, and I got real clear uh, about what I was using, how I was in trouble, and I got an immediate response. And that was March uh, March 7th, 2014. And this time around, for what I, I'm not sure why, but rigorous on it was at the forefront of my mind, which meant I could no longer do the spiritual speaking right? Um, to because I, I, I got good at saying the right thing. Right. Um, not really being entirely dishonest, but I was cloaking what I was feeling and doing in, sure. in sort of the AA acceptable language. Exactly. I I yeah, I'm familiar I, with I, that, doing that. I, it's it's nice to be called on. It's nice to be popular, but I did not, I, I didn't want to hide in yeah. any way anymore. That's what I was wondering when, when you, um, when the, when they first approached you about, um, needing help and they suggested Alcoholics Anonymous and you immediately said that you thought that you needed to believe in God. So were you at that point an agnostic or an atheist? Is, is that how you identified? <clears throat> yes. Okay. I've, I've been an atheist since probably. Uh, 12, I think, was my first awareness of okay. what I was. Okay. Yeah. So then when you started going to uh, meetings and you, but you, you did find hope there, there was, you, you found, um, you know, people, you were meeting people that were staying sober and you were comfortable there, but you did you just kind of dismiss the God stuff and just kind of figure out a way to, you know, interpret it um, or voice it in a way that was acceptable to the people in the room. Is that what you thought you were doing, you think? Yes. Okay. Um I got lucky. I got my first my first uh sponsor mm-hmm. was an atheist and oh. he basically said don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Um but learning how to speak that spiritual talk right, and, right. and say the word God and and <laughs> yeah. that it makes people feel more comfortable than right. I don't believe in anything. But anyway, so you came back so you come back now, but now you you feel like you need to be honest and you need to be you need to be able to speak clearly and come from your your own perspective, I guess. I wanted to be clear. I wanted people to know who who I was, yeah. really, and uh, accept me for who I was. I didn't want to hide anymore. Um, and it was interesting because that first year I got in in 2014 to 2015, um, there was some anger there because I felt excluded. And now I was able to speak out about that. Mm-hmm. So when somebody would say in a meeting, you you have to find a God or you won't stay sober, mm-hmm. that would cause me to raise my hand and say, well, that's not true. And 
I, I wanted to share that because I hadn't heard it before in the rooms. Um, here in Oklahoma, um, we are in the Bible Belt. Yes. Um, the, the only atheist I knew who's passed away now, he used to go to the noon meetings, and he was not the happiest guy. He had long-term <laughs> sobriety, but um, he was he was a little angry and frustrated with the God thing and would yeah. say he's an atheist, but yeah. not in a loving way. But And I wanted to, I think right away, I wanted to reach out to other people in the room because I went online and I, I found out I wasn't alone. What I found was a lot of people, at least online, were scared away from AA. Right. They'd go into the meetings, they'd hear all that stuff, and they wouldn't go back. And one of the things that I found that for me is the, the probably the most important thing is the community. Mm-hmm. It's the people. Yeah. Um, the number of meetings, you, you know, you mentioned I found hope mm-hmm. uh, right away the first time around. Part of that was, you know, you go to meetings and we have them. If yeah. they're on the schedule, there are people there. So not being alone, I had isolated for so long um, with my drinking that the fact that I could not be alone multiple times a day was huge. I don't go to as many meetings anymore, but the fact that we have, I mean, we've got a 5 a.m. meeting here that I recommend anybody in the area go to at least once because it it is amazing to go at 5 a.m. and be with probably 30 people that are laughing and happy to be alive Mm -hmm. every morning at 5 a.m., seven days a week. It's an amazing thing. You Um, know, I always always thought that Oklahoma City had a pretty vibrant AA community because I I knew I had a friend um, from Oklahoma City who moved up here to KC. Oh, gosh, this was back in the 1990s. And he would talk a lot about his experience in Oklahoma City. And always in a really positive way. Like it was, there were a lot of meetings, a lot of people. And, and so is it pretty vibrant? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And our clubhouse is, uh, well, you know, this story ends with them allowing the agnostic and secular <laughs> meetings, but they mm-hmm. are very welcoming, open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of meetings is, you know, we've got 5 a.m., 7 a.m., um, noon, 3 p.m., 5.30 p.m., 8 p.m., and then 10 p.m., uh, very slightly on the weekends, but that's mm-hmm. basically the schedule every day. That's a lot of a lot of time that you can go um, in early sobriety and not be alone. Yep, that's real important, too. I, I took advantage of that in Kansas City, actually, because when I was first starting out, I didn't have a job, and I had a lot of problems, and I just... I just didn't feel comfortable by myself. I, I mean, I all I wanted to do was drink to to not have to feel whatever I was um, afraid of. But so, I, yeah, we had meetings. I'd go to four meetings a day sometimes or more, you know, because I had the time and that's where I felt comfortable. So it's nice for a new person to have that option. That was my treatment, actually. Really, I did the exact. I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I really, I, I immersed myself in AA. Yeah, I was going to meetings to mm-hmm. work and. In between that, I was listening to speaker tape. Just everything I did was trying to keep my my eye on the prize, and it worked. Yeah, and it got me connected with people. And when I came back this this last time in two thousand, well, I never left. I stayed in the rooms. But when I came back, I wanted to I wanted to share openly and connect with people in, in a more real way than I had before. And I found uh, my tribe. I found the people that really loved me for who I am, and I lost I lost some friends. Mm-hmm. There were people who did not um, they did not like me sharing about working the program without a God. I mm-hmm. think they focus on that more than uh, anything else here. It's the number one you'll, you'll, thing you'll hear about in meetings. Part of part of that solution when I came back was to 
understand. I felt like the big book excluded us, mm-hmm. and 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 I I still believe that because mm-hmm. of when it was written. But I found other things that Bill Wilson had written in years later to understand that he didn't purposely exclude atheists. He really believed with all his heart when he wrote the big book that anybody could have a god. Later, he realized that some of us can't, and that that's okay, and how to reach out. So my message softened. Mm-hmm. I learned how to share more gently mm-hmm. in meetings that, that I wouldn't offend, you know, a, a, somebody who's actually religious. Right. I didn't want to push anybody away. So I learned how to share that if there was another atheist in the room, they would know they're not alone mm-hmm. without pushing away somebody who, who liked the, the spiritual or religious part of it. Right. By just focusing Sorry, on, by focusing on what we do, you know, that's how, I, when I, when I, when I look at the program, because I, when I, I was kind of like you, I, 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 my first time through, I was trying to do it as, as a believer. But at, when I realized I was an atheist and I started looking at the program, and going through the big book, what I actually did, I'd go through the big book, paragraph by paragraph, and I would just cross out all the God stuff. And what was left behind was the action. And so what I realized is that <clears throat> this is a program of action. And the, I and I do it the very same way as a believer does. The only difference is they believe that there's a God that's empowering them to do these, to take this action. Whereas I believe it's the other people in the fellowship that empower me to take the action. But it's the same thing that we're doing. Yes, I agree. I I think the action, uh, when I share in meetings, like I just came from a six and seven meeting, I share about the actions that I take through those steps without a God. And I get a lot of nods in the room. And I have friends who, who are believers that actually appreciate the way that I do those things. But one of the things when I came back is I, I wanted to know that the other side, I wanted to know why belief works for people. And that's been probably the biggest uh, growth in my life was I came back and I wanted to understand believers. So it helped me. You know, I, I read different books that um, talk about the, the actual science behind recovery. There's a, a book, I don't know if it's a thesis, it's several people on it called The Molecular Neurobiology of Addiction Recovery. It talks about what happens physically in the brain. I wanted to know why prayer works. Mm-hmm. Why does prayer has an effect? Mm-hmm. Because it did. It has an effect on the person saying it. So for some people, you might have to reword it and say it's a positive affirmation. Right. Don't call it prayer. Right. Uh, you know, don't, don't call it that word that might put, get, get a person's defenses up. Mm-hmm. But there's something about that conscious thought that guides you in a direction. So, in effect, I said prayer works for the person saying it. Well, right. you, say, you say that to an atheist, they don't really want to hear that often. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found that online sometimes in mm-hmm. person. So, um, when I went and, when I went to the board to ask about these meetings, they already knew me. They knew um, how I shared. They knew that I was involved, mm-hmm. and it was less than a minute for them to to approve the meeting, right. which I had I I had anticipated some sort of little battle. But that's part of the the uh, message in the meetings is why things work and why take the action. You know, when you were talking about um, trying to understand the believer and why prayer works for them i was i was reminded of a um a podcast i'd done recently with uh, dr nicole labor and she she was talking about the neurobiology of addiction 
and she was saying that what what helps with um what she would call spiritual growth or what maybe I might call emotional, you know, growth or whatever, is that we're exercising that frontal cortex. We're exercising that part of our brain that was damaged by our addiction. Um, that frontal cortex is where all of our ethics are, where our, um, our reasoning and, and everything like that. So maybe, you know, through prayer or, or, or focusing on some positive, you know, ethical life, you are um, you're exercising that frontal cortex and strengthening it. So that's how that's that's how she would put it in a very simple layman's type of a way. Did you it, what did you discover? Did you discover something like that, or was it something different? Uh, something similar. Uh, I mean, that's that's uh, certainly accurate. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's basic basically rewiring the brain and repairing, just like you said, repairing the things that were damaged, and it takes time. Learning the effect of getting on your knees in humility and gratitude, I never had that before. That was something I learned in AA, and I continued to do it without a belief in a higher power. In fact, we have people come into meetings that they're still trying to fit higher power, and it's news to them that you can remove that and continue to take the actions. Uh, We we reworded, we said the serenity prayer, and we say, um, I say the word prayer, and then we all say, may I have the serenity instead of God grant me. So we're saying it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about using that prayer, that simple little prayer to break that obsessive thinking. Yeah. And okay. you know what? I still use it. Um, I, I don't consider it a prayer. I'm a total atheist. I don't believe in any kind of supernatural deity whatsoever. I believe in science. But I, I've said that serenity prayer for almost 30 years now since I've been in AA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, um, and it does work. It calms me down. It's kind of like a, ma- a mantra, you know, it's just, it's just something that helps me kind of focus back on what I need to focus on. And there's a lot of wisdom in it, you know, to accept the things I cannot change and having courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I mean, it's kind of a nice little model for how to kind of steer yourself in the right direction when you need to. It's funny, too, to talk to people, and it's sort of like giving them the permission to reword it, to say, if you get stuck on God grant me, just change it to may I have mm-hmm. the serenity. And all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb comes on for people that, oh, that can work for me, too. There's that message that, you know, I went to some meetings in, in California recently, and they were almost agnostic secular meetings, just the regular meetings. Yeah. There were, there, it wasn't anything like here. But this is, this is it. Our little meetings three times a week in this part of the country, that's it as far as I know for anything that, that talks about working the program differently. Um, I was going to ask you also before I go, go into talking about your, your meeting. Um, it's, I, I think it was the Oklahoma City, um, AA central office, but I could be wrong. It might have been another one in Oklahoma that wrote a few years ago, um, wanting to find out if they could get agnostic and atheist literature. Have you ever gone down to your central office and do they have like, um, books, um, related to the agnostic and the atheist in AA? They do. They just got, now I went down recently. Um, uh, Kathy is, uh, Kathy R. Uh-huh. R. She runs it. They got, um, don't tell and do tell. I'll be in. darn. I thought so. And that's so cool. Yes. Okay. Awesome. It's- Awesome. And I, I recommended a couple others for her that I thought would be safe that yeah. they could put on the shelves and it wouldn't upset too many people. Yeah. 
that's fantastic because that those that has um you know the stories of agnostics and atheists and AA and if there happens to be somebody that comes to the central office and they're interested in and um hearing seeing their own stories there's plenty of them in those two books that's great I thought that they I thought that they did cuz I do remember seeing that email um that they and cuz we all thought wow this is really exciting that in Oklahoma City um that they are this open minded I wasn't like too surprised cuz I'm from the Midwest you know and it's like yeah, you know, there's, there, there, we're not all, <laughs> we're not all crazy, you know, it's, we have, we have some intelligent, caring, kind people here too, you know, so yeah, that's pretty cool. She was really excited to show it to me and she was the one who had clipped the article that Bill Wilson had written in 1961, um, and I forget the name. I've got a. I didn't bring the paperwork with me, but uh, she directed me because she knew about my meetings and wanted to share things she was learning about Bill Wilson uh-huh. and non-believers yeah. and how we fit into the program, and that was exciting. Yeah, and what's what's really interesting too is you as you learn about the history of um, non-believers in AA. We've been around from the very beginning and actually helped shape the program. I mean, this is as much as ours as it is anyone. You know, any of the believers back in the Oxford group, you had Jim Burwell, you had Hank Parkworth, and there were many others at that time. So, um, yeah, we've been around forever in AA. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so anyway, going back to your group, um, so how's it doing? Um, you, 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 and can you kind of talk about the format and how the group is doing and, and any problems you've had along the way and, you know, any evolution with the group? It was interesting because the board got a lot of flack about it. Okay. The, is had, it the Alano board? It is. Uh, we have a, a, a board that oversees the the uh, May Club, okay. um, and I'm sorry I don't have the name with me, but they um, are separate. It's almost mm-hmm. like a, mm-hmm. a business board that's separate from AA. They want to make it. sure the traditions are upheld. Right. But that that part of it but they got uh i got some some neg- negative input about the meetings when they happened and i had people share at me in meetings passive aggressively uh, yeah uh they're very angry about the meetings <laughs> and you know i would read that uh, little piece from bill wilson out of aa comes to age where he talks about um buddhist rewording the steps and his response was you know these are suggestions only and there's no insistence that we uh do the steps word for word and i started reading that when people would share in anger about those meetings i would raise my hand and i would simply share what bill wilson uh wrote or spoke in the in the late 1950s about that Mm -hmm. and that was it and it in time um some people left the clubhouse they're so angry about it. Uh, other people were just very supportive, and uh, and overall, people have been very supportive. Yeah. Uh, we follow the the for, the same format as a meeting, you mm-hmm. know, other than rewording the Serenity Prayer, and, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, we don't say the Christian prayer at the end. We say the Serenity Prayer again. Mm-hmm. Then the meetings are nice up until this point. They've been fairly small, mm-hmm. so we have crosstalk in mm-hmm. the meetings, and if if people want input, which is pretty normal. We, about the time that I wonder if I should keep them going, new people show up. Often I'm, I'm still chairing a lot of the meetings. So sometimes, you know, three times a week, I, I want a break. But about that time, somebody new shows up that needs to hear that they're in the right place, that, that they can stay in AA, they can work the steps. Um, it's not exclusive, even though they're feeling that. So do you get the people that you get coming to your meeting? Are they people that would not go to a, any other kind of meeting? That's what I hear. 
Yeah. That's the number one thing. I have people show up that their sponsor has them so wrapped up about one, two, and three that they're not continuing to work the steps. Right. And they're frustrated because they cannot pass the test or deliver the right message to their sponsor that they have the God mm. that, that the sponsor approves of. So they stop. Mm. They end up showing up. Other people, they've gone to a couple of meetings. They, they don't come back. And other people were never came to a meeting until they saw the, the agnostic and secular meeting. It's it, we have many people show up that it's their first meeting. That's the same thing in Kansas City. That's been our experience too. Uh, we would either get people that had gone to AA and then, but just weren't comfortable there anymore, um, and maybe they had a bad experience and they had a resentment about it, or we just had people that that have never ever been to AA before and would not go because of their perception of it being religious, and they would intentionally seek out a secular um, alternative, and that's how they would find us. And um, we have a lot of people like that, actually, now <clears throat> that um, really have never been to a traditional meeting. The only experience they have with AA is our group, which, um, as it turns out, really isn't that different from, from any other meeting, like you say, other than we, um, we don't open and close with a prayer, and by and large, we we don't necessarily read from the we don't we don't read from um, the big book at all uh, because it just doesn't work for us. But we do read we we do have a lot of readings from other literature outside literature, which you're allowed to do. Um, that that's secular, you know. So we do that. But you know, I try to relate to people that that there are some good things in the big book. Yeah, and there are also things that are terribly outdated, um, and to approach it that way. Yeah. If, somebody's insisting that they read it but i do that with sort of the whole program and you know thinking people come in john and they they uh they know it's a religious program so sitting in a meeting and have people tell you that no we're not religious we're spiritual and Mm. the person going you know this feels religious i don't know why they deny sometimes the foundation of the program which was a christian foundation and that's not a negative thing it's just to acknowledge it Right. And say, okay, this is where we started. Exactly. It works for some of us. It doesn't work for others. But I, I really believe that Bill Wilson wanted everybody to get sober. I do too. And I, I, I'm, I agree with you that I look at the big book as a historical text. It was where we started. It's not necessarily our current experience, but it's the experience of those people in 1930s. And we can build upon it. We can take what works from them and add to it. That's, that's what I do. Um, I know the big book really, really well because that's, I, I mean, I went to a group for 25 years that, I mean, we just studied the big book like uh, a lot. It, it was almost overkill, but, um, <laughs> the, there's a lot of people in our group that don't know it. And I have thought about, um, doing, trying to have some sort of a big book sort of type of meeting where we really study it as literature, not as a, not as a um, like a Bible or something, but just just as a, in the historical context, you know, and taking from it um, whatever works for it for you. But there's actually now a new book that um, was that was just published that I'm looking forward to um, reading. And what it is is a daily reflections book. And what what he does is he takes every single daily reflections is a quote from the big book, but then he writes it as um, a secular interpretation, his interpretation as an agnostic or atheist. And so he has one of these readings for every single day of the year, and they're all taken directly from the big book. That sounds great. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that because it is a good way for people who haven't experienced a traditional AA meeting to kind of learn what the big book is all about and how 
you can kind of translate it or, or ha- use it in, in a secular sense by looking at the, the underlying actions that are involved there or the experiences. It was, it was funny on uh, Friday. I usually go to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Our meetings are at 645, and I usually go to the 530 meeting beforehand. And on Friday, I, I did not go, but a friend of mine came up after the meeting, uh, 15 minutes in between the two meetings, and he is an attorney, and he is going through the process to become a uh, priest in the Episcopal Church. And he came up and, and tapped me on the shoulder and sort of whispered, you should have been here. I shared that I didn't think every word of the big book was divinely inspired. <laughs> and I thought, oh, how nice, because you hear that here. Yeah. You, you hear people revere the book like it is divinely inspired. And yeah. it's not that it's not good. I don't want to say I don't want to say negative things about it. I just right. want to say think when you read it and the chapter to the wives really doesn't work these days. Right. No, the same same thing here. We get a lot of um, kind of a, well, it's kind of a, I call it the back to basics approach where you, you take a real strict interpretation of the big book. People actually call it, um, they say that these are the instructions, that the precise instructions that were given to us by the founders. And, you know, they, and they take a real rigid approach to it that was never intended. I mean, the people who wrote the book, I mean, even said, hey, we know very little. I think that, you know, we might know more later, <laughs> you know, so, right. you know. And, and isn't that what would Bill Wilson say if he were around today? Oh, yeah. He would, he would adjust. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that's happening here, at least in our clubhouse, is the acceptance of addicts. That uh-huh. They still want to, to respect the program and closed meetings, introduce yourself as an alcoholic or right. desire not to drink. But then we don't, you know, it's like any meeting. You don't want to wax on about the problem. Right. But the fact that people can show up and, and introduce themselves as an addict and talk yeah. a little about that and then back on topic, I love that. And I So that's accepted that, in, in AA all over there and pretty much in your in your city? That You know, not in other, not in other clubhouses. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the things, and I don't know. We we you know different clubhouses sort of have different personalities, and the other large clubhouse here is less accepting of those things. Okay. They're more of that the thing you were talking about that rigid uh, the rigid view of the big book, and yeah. this is the word. Um, it was stamped in gold in the late 1930s, and it applies today. Right. And the thing about the people that come in that have drug problems is just I I've I have yet to see one come into an AA meeting who says that they are a drug addict, but their drinking is just fine for them, that they're, they're going to, you know, they also have a desire to stop drinking, you know, uh, and just about every single case I've ever seen, they, they're, they're a drug addict, but they know that if they drank, it would be a relapse to their drug of choice. So these people have a desire to stop drinking and therefore they meet the requirement for membership. And the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And as you said, really at any AA meeting, um, rarely do you talk about the use anyway. I mean, the only, the only step that we have that talks about the problem is the first one. So we had, we had, uh, uh, some guys show up from GA, Gamblers Anonymous, to one of our meetings, agnostic and secular meetings. And because it's an open meeting, uh, I even say in introduction, um, I changed it to, um, you know, struggling with addiction, uh, or added that in there. So everybody knows they're welcome. Well, these guys, one of these guys shared, actually they both shared, but one of them went into more detail about what it was like uh, to gamble. And he might as well have been talking about 
cocaine yeah. or alcohol, but it was more like that rush from a, a faster drug. But I, I had no idea yeah. that the addiction, that kind of addiction was so similar to drugs and alcohol. And then we talk about the solution, and it's the same solution. Yeah. Well, the same thing is happening to the brain. Um, you know, in, when you're, uh, if you have an addiction, a process addiction like that, the same thing is happening to the brain as happens when you're addicted to cocaine or alcohol or, or any other drug. It kind of makes sense to me, but... Is there a question on whether or not the, uh, the addiction to AA or the addiction to religion, what... Are there any bad implications from that? And that's one of the things that I was looking at when I was trying to understand why things work for people. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the, only, the only negative I would say is that if your foundation is built on something that you don't really believe in, it, it, it's weak. Um, then when you struggle with sobriety, uh, to me, it seems like it, it, it falls apart easier. And there are people who come in and they fake that belief. They're told, fake it till you make it. And they do find and something happens in their life. And they find out that they didn't really believe anything was there in the first place. Fall away from the program. And they're almost shameful about coming back. They're almost ashamed to come back now because they don't, they don't know how to come back and be honest uh, with their lack of belief. So that's right. the, the only piece of it. And, I don't know how to bridge that, but we sure talk about it on on how to give people a, a firm foundation when they come into the program. Yeah, um, I've seen people, and, and I've even I've even done this myself earlier on in the program. <clears throat> that um, I've 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 been uh, I'm guilty of having beaten myself up with the steps. Um, so in other words, if I was depressed or things weren't going well. It was all because um, I was not working the steps properly. I wasn't doing it right. I, you know, I needed to get out of myself more. And but these are also messages that I was getting from my sponsor at the time. And I don't know. I, I don't know if I really recognized what was going on with me at at that time. But many years down the road, as I would see a newcomer do that, I would I would recognize what was happening. Is damn it, stop beating yourself up. You know, <laughs> stop using those steps to beat yourself up, you know, because you're, you're never going to do these things perfectly. And, you know, it's okay to, you know, seek help elsewhere for depression or whatever um, problems that you, you might be in. So I'd like it to become acceptable that we just acknowledge that there are other books out there. We don't have to bring them into the rooms, uh, yeah. but to just mention to people, you know, if you want to read some more recent studies on alcoholism, Read under the influence. Yeah, that was a that was a, you probably read that. That was a pretty advanced study of alcoholism. It answers a lot of questions. So if somebody's struggling with the idea of, gosh, is it an allergy or is it a spiritual malady? Mm -hmm. What is it? Just you know, here are the facts. Some of us are different. We react to alcohol differently. Go with that. It doesn't yeah. have to be a disease for you to stay sober. Uh, we, we do bring that. I like hearing that you bring uh, other literature into your meetings because I've uh, I've done that as well, and so far so good. Yeah, yeah, we've done it from the beginning, and it is totally acceptable. You know, <clears throat> some people think mistakenly that an AA meeting can only use conference-approved literature, and that's that's not true at all. You can read whatever you want to in an AA meeting. Conference approved, all that means is it went through the process of the conference to approve it as, you know, conforming to, you know, whatever, you know, that's all it means. You know, like the grapevine, they don't go through conference approval for any of their books. It's just, it's just not necessary. So yeah, we do. We have from the beginning. In fact, what we used to do, we don't do it anymore. 
simply because what was happening is I'd just be giving these books away. But we used to keep a library of all these different um, agnostic and atheist um, recovery books, and um, we'd let people borrow them. But what I would do is people would be so excited about seeing these books. I'd say, oh, you take it. Don't worry about it. Keep it. And so it was kind of draining us financially <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to have to keep replacing yeah. the books. Do you mm-hmm. allow people to, like I said, it's almost therapy in our group. And sometimes we talk about the, the negative, how do I put this, the, the, the negative feelings they get in AA or the yeah. things that don't work. Right. And it's not to focus on that or right. come down hard on the AA. It's just to talk about that. Like uh, people getting frustrated with the, um, you know, give it to God. Right. I remember that was something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I talked about that. Um, I went to a friend, uh, a theist friend, and said, what do you do? When you say give it to God, what are you doing? And at the end of that discussion, it was basically he worked to stop the obsessive thinking, whatever he was thinking, and worked to think about something more positive. And in his mind, he's giving it to a God. There's okay. something there receiving it. but I can use that too. Mm-hmm. I can use the serenity prayer, break the obsessive thinking. I don't have anything to anybody to give it to, but I can still use that same process. So anyway, that was one of the things. Do you stay on topic or, or well, do people discuss that? We people, if, as far as I'm concerned, anybody can say any crazy thing they want to say in an AA meeting. Everybody has two or three minutes to say whatever they want to say. <laughs> <laughs> and But we have had um, meetings that have kind of focused on problems that people have experienced in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because unfortunately, and maybe people in other AA groups don't want to recognize this, but there are people who have been harmed <laughs> by some of these AA meetings, you know, and yeah. and they and they yeah. are resentful about it. And um, yeah. they need a place to talk about it. And they need a safe place to vent. And so, yes, we have had meetings um, where there, where that is the topic, where, you know, someone is very frustrated with um, um, this insistence that they believe in God or, you know, whatever. So, yes, we have had meetings like that. And and we'll go through a period of time kind of depending on, you know, who's cycling through the meeting. You know, we might have, um, like at one time, we had some people, several, who left a group. This is really interesting. They left a group. They were really resentful about that group and how, oh, how rigid that group was becoming. So when they were coming to our meetings, oh man, all they would do is talk about this specific group, AA group, and how terrible mm-hmm. it was, right? But they had to get it off their chest. But eventually what happened was they stopped talking about that. They, they were able to get it all out of their system and they got back into just sharing their basic recovery. And then they ended up starting another free thinkers meeting here in Kansas City. Uh, and to meet on the nights that our group wasn't meeting. And so that gave us um, at that. And now we have seven meetings a week in KC. So that's encouraging. Meetings. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll still from time to time, they call it God detox, where you have to kind of get it out of your system. They can be uncomfortable meetings because, you know, those of us who've already got it out of our system, sometimes it gets a little tiring to have to hear the bat. It, it sounds like it's bashing, but it's really not. It's just the person needing to needing to have someone listen to them. And understand them and, and maybe even relate that. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Get it out of your system. <laughs> you know, so yeah. And the, the idea that somebody may not belong, that would probably be the, the primary focus of the, the meetings when it, when I got down to it is I wanted people to feel comfortable in regular meetings and seek them out. 
and hopefully get to the point where they could share openly about working the program, working the 12 steps without a God, just in case there's another atheist in the room. That's right. In fact, we had one woman from our group. She's an amazing story, Erica. She, um, she, she was really abused by religion growing up. She grew up in a, in a family that was just, you know, crazy religious. And, um, so when she got to AA, the, the religious language was almost traumatic for her. She just couldn't take it. So yeah. our meeting was the only place where she could really feel comfortable in, in an AA meeting. And she came to our meetings exclusively. Well, a, a year, maybe a year and a half goes by, and she starts going to traditional meetings, speaking openly as an atheist in those meetings, and loving it, and feeling totally comfortable in those meetings, to where now, those are the meetings she goes to, she doesn't even go to our meeting anymore. So that that's kind of a nice story. That That does happen, where people are not comfortable in AA. And they come to our meeting and then they do, they, 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 I guess they get a sense of self esteem, I guess, and, and comfort knowing that they're not alone and they can go to these other meetings and, and speak their truth and be who they are in those meetings, knowing that, you know, they're, that it's perfectly normal and okay and accepted. So. Isn't it funny that we, we sit in a program that works so well for atheists? But yet there's a certain shame about being an atheist when you first walk in the room. I know. Because society puts this shame on us that we don't have morals. And, of course, we walk in the room thinking we don't have morals. It's nothing to do with being an atheist or not. But we're almost ashamed of who we are, period, let alone wanting to share that, by the way, I don't believe. Then we, we get our self-esteem back through working the step, and we can say, hey, look at me. Yeah. Thanks to the program, thanks to the 12 steps, I love who I am now. Yeah. And yeah. part of who I am is an atheist. Yep, that's right. So, and, and, and I think that's just such a, a beautiful thing. Um, and I think I've, I've said in meetings that I think the program is almost better designed for atheists when you get down to it because it's cause and effect from our actions. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no God, no God required no. for that. No, absolutely not. Um, yeah. And I would say, I'll, I'll get on my little soapbox here for one second, and it's just the, the one message in AA that I, uh, is a religious message that I hope changes in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this idea that anything good in your life, you have to give credit to <laughs> right. something else. <laughs> right. Right. And anything bad in your life, it's all on you. Right. Right. It's all your fault. <laughs> and I think that's a terrible message yeah. to give to people that are already damaged exactly. by life when they walk through the door. Yeah. I think we should get people and go, you know what? You get credit. You get to take credit for showing up to meetings all the time, not drinking day by day, becoming a better person. You right. don't have to give that away to something else. So well, that's it. You know what? You did something that I did that um, I found as a very valuable exercise. And you wrote out your own personal version of the 12 steps. And what I found so valuable about that exercise is I almost had to do it. I had to say, what do these steps mean to me? And so now I'm approaching the steps from a secular perspective as an atheist, and they're more meaningful to me. Um, and so now a, I, I'm actually more involved in AA and really more excited about it, I guess, as an atheist than I was when I was trying to do it as a believer. But do you want to talk about that process that you went through a little bit as we kind of finish up about what you went through when you were thinking about that, writing those steps in your own language? Actually, you said it very well. I I knew the steps worked. And 
when I first uh, got to AA, I didn't. It didn't cross my mind to change anything, but I already was in my head. You're right. Um, then I decided to write them out for what the steps really meant to me, and simplify them, break them down, and of, of course remove the God aspect. But I arrived to AA with 20 years of therapy, drunk, mm-hmm. and and I, I mean real therapy. I did. In fact, I say I tried about every kind of therapy. Uh, at least Western therapy, there was a lot of talk therapy. And the end of all this is I think the 12 steps are as good, if not better, than any of that therapy I got, hmm. if you work them. Mm-hmm. But it's taking the actions in the steps. And right. maybe when you when you post this or whatever, you put a copy of mine. I will. I just want to make, you know, they're the ones I came up with and encourage people to do their own. I really, I, I like the fact that you do that. Yep. And a lot of people from our group um, have done that. And it's just, it's, it's, I think everybody in AA should do it. You know, I think that should be like an assignment that people are given is, okay, take these steps. You write them out in your own language. You know, what do they mean to you? I'll, I'll share mm-hmm. real quick. If it's okay. The, mm-hmm. um, just as an example, I came out of the six and seven meeting. And when, when I see people rewriting the steps, because you can find them online or their books, mm-hmm. uh, there's that little, the little book of right. alternate 12 steps. Um, and they try to, just kind of reword the steps as they are. It's sort of the same message, but, um, you know, step six and seven for me without a God, I went down to the actions. Step six for me is with humility and to the best of my ability. I stopped taking actions based on my character defect. And step seven is with humility and to the best of my ability. I continue taking actions based on my character attributes. And for me, that's simple. It's actions and it's simple. And that's, that's where I ended up. I thought that was pretty clever that you, that you went from character defects in six to character attributes in seven. Um, the way I, the, when I was looking at those steps, I was thinking more like in the 12 and 12 where it starts talking about character building. So I'm thinking, okay, step six and seven to me is recognizing that I need, I need to change. I need help. I need, you know, I need to improve, um, develop myself personally, emotionally, whatever. So to me, that means taking all sorts of actions that, um, to improve myself, I guess is, you know, I might go to a therapist. I might, you know, see a doctor. I might whatever. So. I'll tell you what, I'll finish with a little example, just okay. of those steps. It's what I use in meetings, is step six for me is when I'm going into the Walmart, I don't try and cut people off to get to the cart to get in the store. Okay. I, I slow down, take my turn. Step seven for me is I actually stop and I look behind me and I see, I see if anybody needs me to bring a cart to them. Nice. So the first thing is to stop doing what's natural. The second thing is to go one step further and actually take action in a positive direction. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the program as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hey, if you can think about it, please stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Belief. And uh, make a little contribution on a regular basis of a buck or two. It helps us out. Thank you so much. We'll be back again real soon. Until then, you all take care and be well.